Good evening, Richmond Hill family. Good evening. You've heard the scripture read in our hearing. I'd like to focus on verses 18 and 19 where the Lord says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, and that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Pray with me. Come, Fathers, in the sweet name of Jesus, that we thank you for time and opportunity to preach your gospel, that we might minister to the poor, that captives would be set free, and that we would be reminded that this is the year of the Lord's favor. In the name of Jesus, we ask that you bless this word and this time. Amen. Amen. As we enter into this Black History Month, I want each of us to be intentional about living into our God-ordained assignments in the season of our lives. I want to lift as a topic, he understood his assignment. We all have an assignment here on earth. Jesus understood his perfectly and prayerfully, we do too. You've heard it said they understood the assignment. If you haven't, I'm sure at some point this year you will hear it because it's trending on all social media platforms, on the news, and in many of our family conversations. Mm -hmm. The slave term is a popular way of, to give praise to someone who is going above and beyond what they've been called to do. According to the Urban Dictionary, understood the assignment means that a person has given it 110%. What, whether they're praying, whether they're teaching, what they're saying, how they're living, or someone who is really on top of their stuff understands the assignment. Anytime someone does an exceptional job and delivers in a way you could never have imagined, you know they understood the assignment. And so how does this fit our scripture? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> this pericope in our hearing, right in our hearing, lets us know that the Lord completely understood his assignment. He stated it very clearly as he read the Isaiah scroll, uh, the passages from the Isaiah scroll. He knew in no uncertain terms that he'd been anointed. He knew that he was supposed to preach the good news to the poor. He knew that he had been sent to proclaim that captives would be set free, that the blind would see, and that the oppressed would also be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor had come. The Lord was clear about what he was to do, and many others have come along who have shown that they know what their assignment was as well. Richmond Hill family, for over 30 years, I taught algebra in the public school sector in Richmond Public Schools. I must admit honestly, Anthony, that it took me about three to five years before I fully understood my assignment. I know some of you are thinking, those poor students in that first three to five years. Well, it was much deeper than what I was doing. I could teach algebra, but I was sent to bring good news to a group of people who were sometimes poor, according to economics, and some who didn't have a whole lot of hope. So they were poor in spirit. I didn't do that before the five-year mark, fully and not fully understanding. Yes, I needed them to understand how X and Y lined up on their respective axes. But I also needed them to understand that they had the possibility of exceeding anything they could ever think or imagine. 
It took me a while because I was a young teacher, but I finally understood my assignment as I was teaching a young group of people to live in their assignments and not only the ones in their algebra class, but in life as well. I needed them to understand that they had some constitutional rights as individuals in this country and they couldn't let others impress upon them the, uh, or impinge upon those rights based on the color of their skin. I reminded them often that in, in July, on July 4, 1776, Congress declared from the United States Constitution, they said that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by the Creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. In other words, let me lisaize this. In other words, the people who vote have a responsibility of giving consent to those who govern, not just Manchin or Cinema or Mitch McConnell or any of those other cats who think that they control everything. The Constitution went on to say that whenever any form of government becomes self-destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such, such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. I pause there because safety and happiness seem like something far-fetched these days. It's scary to me because it's apparent that the nation we're living in right now has lost sight of these declarations that were declared in 1776. We have several autocratic leaders serving themselves and their personal agendas on behalf of the country at the cost of the country. Great many ills that we face we're fighting voter suppression, housing inequities, health inequities, not feeling safe because of a global pandemic. And it's been politicized, and it seems like our country is becoming unhinged. Our nation appears to be in complete chaos, and for all practical purposes, it is. I want to suggest that what we've really seen in the last two years is an outcry of a weary people who have been what the Constitution called pursued habitually as the same object of a dominant culture's hate. In 1903, W.B. Du Bois wrote, the problem of the 20th century is the problem of the color line, and here we are 118 years later, and the color line continues to be a barrier in our community. It continues to be a place of divisiveness in our country. It continues to define how laws are enforced and treatment in most matters of practice in this nation. It is psychologically destructive. It is relationally traumatic. And in many instances, it is deadly on the side of black and brown people. You may ask, how does this relate to scripture? Well, Dr. Martin Luther King said at Gross Point High School in 1968, it is not enough for me to stand before you tonight and condemn riots. It would be morally irresponsible for me to do that without, at the same time, condemning the contingent and tolerable conditions that exist in our society. 
These conditions are things that cause individuals to feel that they have no other alternative than to engage in violent rebellions to get our attention. Dr. King continues by saying a riot is the language of unheard people. And what is, America, what is it that America has failed to hear? He said it has failed to hear that the promises of freedom and justice have not been met. And it has failed to hear that large segments of our dominant culture are more concerned about quietness and the status quo than about justice and humanity. Dr. King had no way of knowing that some 54 years later, we would still be having the same conversation and experiencing the same ills that he spoke of in 1968. Dr. King understood his assignment, and so he protested nonviolently. My dear friends, it is my prayer that we take a good look at what is actually going on in our country and see it is an invitation from God to everyone who can hear this message. It is an invitation for us to listen to what the Lord is requiring of us in this season of our lives. Mark, Micah 6 and 8 helps us to see, to see this. It reminds us that we are to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. I know some people will not be pleased with this message. Mm. Some people will say, I don't have anything to do with what's going on with the racism in this country. Some people will ignore that while they may not have been a part of slavery, they are reaping the benefits and privileges that were created, that created generational wealth for them off the backs of enslaved people. We know that some people don't want a certain history taught because of fear of exposure, but people of African descent are left with generational trauma from the public lynching of black men since slavery. We're left to think about the water hosing and dogs being sick during the Civil Rights Movement. We continue to fight against voting rights and redlining. We still have conversations with our black boys about how to conduct themselves when they leave home to avoid being treated like Emmett Till, the 14-year-old black boy from Chicago who was lynched in Mississippi in 1955. We know all too well the many injustices that have been perpetrated on people of color. We know because of the health disparities, the education disparities, the immigration wars, the imbalance of the economic structure, transportation and legal inequalities, and simply put, we're tired. We're not tired, so tired that we're not willing to work together to come to some resolve. But we know that God is not pleased with a demographic of people being constantly treated less than human because of the color of their skin. And God is calling us to rise up and to live into our assignment. Mm -hmm. Saints, we all have a job to do. And it's each of us that have to have something to offer. So I invite you to the table. Have conversations with people who don't look like you. Have conversations with people who don't think like you. Have a, make a space for people to be honest on how they feel, even though it's tough to hear what they're saying. As I think about people who understood their assignment, especially as it relates to our scripture, I'm reminded of Reverend Dr. Katie Geneva Cannon, who was a theology trailblazer. She pushed past boundaries to become the first black woman in the United States to be ordained in the Presbyterian Church. A major part of her life and career was spent in Richmond working at Union Presbyterian Seminary, where she's left a lasting legacy 
in the form of leadership, a leadership center and a unique branch of theology. She launched the Center for Womanist Leadership just a few months before she died in 2018. That was something that she taught, I'm going to give you the best I have so you can be better. That was something her teachers taught her when she was in elementary school that she lived out until her death in 2018. And that's very much what she was all about. She understood that we all have a place in the, in the solution to what was going on in our country, and she wanted to make people better. I remember the week that I was defending my dissertation. I had lunch with her and my niece at UP Sim, and everyone who walked past us in the cafeteria, Dr. Cannon would reach out and say, Lisa's doing her, um, defending her dissertation this Friday. Be sure to pray for her. And I said, Dr. Cannon, these people don't care that I'm defending my dissertation. She said, they absolutely do, Lisa. Because when one of us succeeds, all of us succeed. I want us to take a page out of Dr. Cannon's book. I want us to take a page out of Jesus' book. And I want you to remember two things if you don't remember anything else I said tonight. Remember that we've all been anointed to bring the good news to the poor. The poor does not necessarily mean financially poor. If your assignment is to minister to the weary and they are poor in spirit, bring the good news. If your assignment is to tend to someone with health concerns and who may be poor in health, bring the good news. If your ministry is to the homeless, you get to minister to them about stability. Secondly, I want you to remember we've been sent to proclaim release of the captives. Do you know someone who's stuck in a way that is a downward spiral? Do you know someone who is being roughshod by the enemy in their lives? Do you know someone living in bondage to anything or slave to any thoughts, ideas, or people? Remind them, we've been called to proclaim that captives be released. This is the year of the Lord's favor. And so we can take our position in the heavenlies and declare people free and then journey with them. Don't just declare it and leave them. Declare it and journey with them until they get back on the right path. Theologian David Guzik says, many Christians struggle at this point. We wonder, is God supposed to do it or am I supposed to do it? The answer is yes. God does it and we do it. Trust God, rely on him, and then get to work. And work as hard as you can. I almost said a bad word. Work as hard as you can, <laughs> taking a stand against the wiles of the enemy. That is how the work of God is going to get done. We must face those systems and people who are holding on to anything that is keeping them in bondage. I close with this. I pray you will remember that when one of us wins, we all win. If we are succeeded, it's success for all of us. I encourage you to sit with the Lord, pray and seek his face for your assignment. I invite you to join us here at Richmond Hill on the journey of healing our metropolitan city. I invite you to embrace 2 Chronicles 7.14 that gives instructions on how we are to pray. The scripture says, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray, that's us, those are the believers, that God will hear our prayers and heal the land. Let's not stand by and watch the tyranny that's happening in our country have its way. 
When we can call on the name of the Lord who will fight on our behalf, we are to share the gospel, the good news, fight for the release of captives, who anybody, for anybody who's caught up in systems that are in place that oppress them, and recognize that this is the year of our Lord's failure, I leave you with one question. Do you understand your assignment? Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. Amen.